I still have a Cisco phone in my office, which is probably 15 years old. It drives me crazy. I don't know why we have it sometimes. I've argued with my executives about why does anybody need this anymore? We have digital switchboards and everybody carries a cell phone. You could save a bunch of money. Well, I like having my phone. In my it's like, okay, whatever. That's fine. That's one day when it's my decision, there will be a different path. We'll go, but it's not my decision yet. <laughs> Hey everyone, my name is Matt Harriman, and this is episode number something of the Achieve and Enjoy podcast. Today I've got a really good friend of mine, Russell Greco, on. A lot of people can say that about Russ because he's he's a friendly kind of guy. But he's done, you know, really interesting stuff in his career. He's been, you know, he's one of those guys that you'd probably describe as having a rocket ship strapped to his ass <laughs> at some points and, you know, promotions and, and moving up quick and doing a bunch of interesting things. So Russ, if you're up for starting there, I wouldn't mind just hearing your story and like a little bit of thinking about why you were able to move into the roles that you did and and some of the stuff that you've gone through. Sure. I actually kind of was reflecting on this recently because I can't take full credit for, you know, they always say it's like probably equal parts, like timing, luck, opportunity, right? But like, when I first, so I actually took a step further than that. I would say I was a non-traditional petroleum engineer. Mm. So I actually started my background in computer science and kind of had a, a passion for computers and all things like computer science related. And then when I got into college and decided, man, I kind of think some more of these tangible problems are more interesting than just staring at a screen, looking at code, which has its merits, right? Yeah. Um, I kind of shifted around a little bit and ended up in petroleum because it was like this perfect mix of like entrepreneurship, business, and still engineering and problem solving, right? Because I've always loved business and, and how to make a buck, right? So trying to figure it out. So I think for me, that gave me a, a really interesting edge because when I got out of school, I didn't just approach things as an engineer or just as a traditional petroleum engineer working for an operator, right? I came into a, an operating mm -hmm. company. I immediately would say, well, what's the problem? Well, I could think of like these 10 unorthodox ways to solve it or, oh yeah, I have some skills that maybe the average person doesn't have. I can apply those right away to this, this problem, this issue. And in particular, I started out in operations, funny enough. And so operations in some ways is like the most mechanical and the most, I'd say antiquated, but there's definitely some practices that are, are very much been passed down. 20, 30, 40 years, you know, they've done it this way. And that didn't really mean much to me because I wasn't like some 20 year drilling engineer or like my dad wasn't a drilling engineer. So it's like, well, I think you could actually solve it this way or make it, you know, what about this? Have you ever thought about this thing? And I definitely think that that certainly did a lot for me in the first like three to five years of my career where I was kind of making an impact, an impression, right? You always make first impressions. So whenever I met managers or vice presidents or whatever, CEOs, I think I usually left a mark on them that was, okay, this guy thinks differently. At the very least, that's interesting. And I'll, I'll put a tab in that and maybe it'll come, it'll come back. At some yeah. Did, did you ever, you ever take it too far and upset <laughs> people by questioning too much and bothering them? Oh yeah, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> I like to think that one of the things that for whatever reason, my lucky random number generator came up with that is my brain. I kind of am pragmatic at least. So, mm. you know, one of the biggest critiques I always hear, actually I had a friend that used to tell me when I told them my skills or like when I explained a problem to them, they were like, wait a minute, you're an engineer and you can talk? Like what, what on earth? Like that's bizarre. Yeah. So I try to be pragmatic. So ideally I don't get too far out in the theoretical world, you know, but yeah, no, I definitely ruffled some feathers of some of the older engineers that were either, I hate to say closed minded, but, you know, certainly stuck in their ways or focused on a way of doing something, or maybe it was one of those who moved my cheese kind of situations where like they had done it for 20, 30, 40 years. And suddenly here I am saying like, well, here I can do that in five minutes and it used to take yeah. five hours or something, you know, which is really where I think a lot of the optimization, especially in the early to late 2000s started, started showing up because you had all this software and all these tools that were just breakneck speed and frankly probably impacted other industries faster that were maybe just getting to oil and gas in some ways or adopted yeah. in oil and gas. Kind of was the perfect like mix. And, and and I have to mention because the luck part, the shell revolution, I'll use that term a handful of times, but like when I came out of school and I missed it by arguably even a couple of years, 
the world was on fire with like, go drill as many wells as you can, as yeah. fast as you can, which was totally different than a lot of people's, like they, some, even if a guy had been in the industry for years, he hadn't done that. Yeah. And so it kind of leveled the playing field. And it, if anything, it, it lended itself better to automation and like strategic planning and stuff, because suddenly you're not developing 10 offshore wells a year. Mm. You're drilling 150 horizontal wells. They don't, they don't know how to deal with that. That was something that interesting that Jim Dubois, are you familiar with him? Yeah. So yeah. he and I talked about earlier this week, actually, about how the shift toward unconventionals and shale kind of made people worse at probability and statistics um, <laughs> yeah. because it kind of took on that factory mindset that, that a lot of people were sold and they kind of forgot about the risk and mm -hmm. things like that. He had some interesting stuff there. So walk through like your, your career. So that's kind of the early part and some of the reasons that you kind of were able to advance pretty quick. So what have you been doing from there? What kind of roles have you been in the last say five years? So, you know, obviously cut my teeth in operations and then in our world, at least in the operator world, it very quickly, the people that are the best at aggregating large amounts of data and management of like a whole project or an asset usually become asset managers, right? That's like the term. You hear different terms for it, but effectively you're a manager of reservoir or asset manager or whatever. And that's where I quickly found myself probably by year four. They were like, yeah, this is obviously the seat we want you in because you understand all of the pieces and now you can kind of look over the whole business and kind of safeguard it, right? And you're a keeper of the purse, the economics, planning, you become the interface for the corporate planning side and like the strategic side for the executives. And so I ended up doing basically versions of that effectively. And so reserves are a part of that. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of intersection. And then as the time went on, I, one of my other tendencies has always been to, to learn. I, I really, I've always loved learning and it's not so cliche, but like as an elementary school kid, I was probably super annoying to people because I was like, tell me more. I want to learn more about this. I actually like to read books. Like, you know, yeah. I want to do, I want to do those things. And so it naturally kind of led itself into learning about things that I think led to more finance, led to more planning, strategic planning, all that kind of stuff. And then in, in particular, that led me to get my MBA too, which I won't dwell on that, but effectively that's just another call it, whether it's a certificate or a master's degree or whatever it is, or you just read a bunch of books, right? Like however you want to get the information. The point is you're cramming a bunch of information in a short period of time about a lot of different subjects that you're not an expert in. And you're either going to become on the you know, peripheral, you're good at it, or maybe you really find that you like something. And so I tend to do more, a lot more M&A and a lot mm -hmm. more business development, which generically speaking mean a lot of things to people, but what it means to me is I value assets and I figure out where do those assets land in terms of our current portfolio? Do we buy, do we sell, do we develop, right? It's all it is. And then yep. you just use all the tools that you have access to from your years. And so that's really what I've been doing over the last couple of years. Specifically now I'm at Battalion, a little corporation, which used to be Halcon Resources. And that was another interesting experience because we came on as part of the turnaround team. We took them into their second bankruptcy and really good job. a lot of changes. <laughs> no. Yeah, it yeah. could be good or bad, depending on how you view it. It's like the old joke of firefighters are running into burning buildings and everybody else is running out. But um, to, to to clarify, like you were hired to, yeah. as as the, the bankruptcy was already foretold and yes. you were yes. hired to help take them through it and help bring them out of it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Turn around the organization. There was a lot of good technical people there. It's not like we went in and fired everybody. That's another thing that I'd like to state is collaboration and like trying to grow others around you. Like, you know what I mean? You're not just trying to hack them all off at the, at the stem. A lot of good people, but they needed a vision. They needed to refinance a lot of stuff. They needed a lot of that kind of things to happen. And then it's been an interesting ride. I mean, it's still with Battalion, obviously. We're still kicking. I think every smaller EMP company, even mid-sized EMP company, has had a very interesting ride the last couple of years. And that's its own podcast probably because you, know, yeah. you got COVID and you've got, now there's like you know, maybe the bank crisis. There's all kinds of things that people are having to navigate that makes finances more complicated. So like going through, I mean, some of that stuff, like entering into a company that's on its way into bankruptcy. I mean, we've known each other for 10 years or so. And you're no matter, you know, unless we're on a golf course, like you're always happy 
and like upbeat and generally like have an optimistic view of things. Where did you get that from? Yeah, I know it's funny. I hate to say it's genetic because I guess as a, even as a child, I think I, again, was probably, probably to the point of being obnoxious. I was always quite energetic and happy. I think a lot of that probably goes back to the, my mentality around seeing solutions and like problem solving stuff. I mean, I've always thought about how do I, how do I make this better or how do I make this easier? Right. Or maybe, maybe as a kid, it was more, how do I do the least amount of work and get the most amount of effort as yep. an adult? It's kind of the same, but maybe there's a few more restrictions that you put on yourself. And so I think with that, that mentality tends to paint a brighter picture of the world, you know, like meaning if you're looking at tools and solutions all the time and you're seeing what's possible. I think that tends to make you just a more positive person as opposed to all I'm seeing around me is suffering and destruction. And, and it's easy to see that view. I, there's, especially yeah. in the last couple of years, it's been probably really complicated for people. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think that, you know, I'm sure like there's a mental aspect of it, which is just trying to, you need to process stuff. You need to think about what you're doing. You know, I, I love to say like, begin with the end in mind. Like that's one of those phrases that stuck with me over the years. So I think when you try to, process stuff through that lens and you try to think of it as a problem solving thing, then I think you, you tend to be probably on more on the positive side. And I don't know if that means you can turn someone who's more negative, positive or not, but like it certainly yeah. lends itself to that. You're almost always thinking about progress and like how to make it yeah. better. And so your focus is more on the solution or how it could be better as opposed to what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't, I mean, that's not to say, I don't want to paint a picture. Like we all go through negative periods of our life, whether it's work or life or anything. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's certain you can't always be positive all the time. Yeah. You, you probably have some other mental illness or issue. <laughs> um, but, but in general, it's like, everyone's going to mourn and go through whatever negative thoughts they have. The question is, okay, well, now all settles, what are you going to dwell on? And then what are you going to try to do with it? It's like, you can't change what already happened. Can you learn from it? Hopefully. And then. Do you continue to see the world as a constructive, positive place? For the most part, for the last 50 to 60 years, civilization has allowed us to do that. There's a few times lately that I think, man, maybe we've got a little too far. But, but in general, like, yeah, I mean, I think keeping that lens keeps you hopefully like rooted in seeing things constructively. How do you feel like your approach and mindset on other people is is different and I'll, I'll add some context to that. So you're, you've probably got more friends than anybody I've ever met and, and not just like mutuals on Instagram or something, but people that you genuinely care about and care about you and, you know, real friends. And I, I think, you know, you talked about at your wedding, how important, you know, your friend group is to you and, and all of that stuff. And how do you see that? How is your mindset and like approach to other people? maybe unique or different within work or outside of it, wherever. Yeah. I mean, and it's tricky. It's, it's tricky to say different because, you know, I'd like to think most people are doing these things too, but, but, but I hear you. Like, I guess for me, I don't, I don't know how everybody views relationships, but like, as long as I can remember, I've always thought, and maybe it was even the way my parents just emphasized it. Right. You know, I come from a big family, so I had like two, two bloodline siblings. And then I have many step siblings and, and so we always, my parents always preached harmony, friendliness, constructiveness, like being approachable is something that I've always tried to emphasize. You just be kind and be approachable. And, and then like some of it lends itself to like, I, I really am a very analytical person, but I do try to think about the soft skills. I try to think about the, um, psychological stuff that's going on. Like, do you think about whether someone's introverted or extroverted? And does that mm. change your tactic on how you approach them? Because being approachable nope. to different people means different things, right? Yep. And For so sure. like, I try to think about stuff like that with any communication I have, whether it's someone in passing on the street or whether it's, you know, going to some networking event where I could meet somebody who could be a friend or a business friend or a partner or whatever you want to call it. And so I guess I've tried to always, tried to always think about things that way because you, you certainly don't time is finite. Energy is finite. I I'm lucky. I'm blessed that I have like probably a feeling more at energy than the average person. Maybe that's just mm -hmm. how I'm wired. 
Um, you, you have a lot more than me. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, Matt. You 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 push that bad too. I think. Which, but but I hear you. Like, and so it's like, okay, I've got a lot of energy. How do I use it? Like, let's try to be efficient with it. Let's let's really work on the relationships that you're getting something back from. And I don't mean getting back like monetary or like they're giving you yeah. something, but energy back, right? You know, it's always about that that balancing of that relationship. And then like you start to also figure out, well, okay, these are all relationships that are strong or like that have a mutual connection. I need to really be consciously like present to like keep that relationship up. And it doesn't mean every day. It doesn't mean every second. You know, I know especially in today's world where everybody's so interconnected. Yeah, like once a month or a quarter, think about somebody and just send them a note, a text. Hey, how are you doing? I'm thinking yeah. of you. Or like, hey, we should go grab a drink or a lunch or or even just talk about what you're doing. You know, even if yeah. you know the person lives in Toledo, like just send them a message and say, hey, what's up, man? How are things going? Like, how do you tactically do that? Do you have any kind of a system that you have or like, yeah. do you have reminders set up? Like, I know some people have, things like that set up, but like, yeah. especially since you've become a father, like time yeah. just oh, goes yeah. away That's even faster. Even more of the French. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, so it's funny in terms of the nitty gritty, I actually keep a, I don't know if you use Google keep or not. There's many good note keeping apps out there with lists and things. I actually have a list that I keep of kind of like revolving, Hey, When's the last time you talked to this person? And I don't keep it to the day, right? But it's yeah. like, hey, yeah. I, have I talked to them in a long time? Oh, no. And, and I see it every morning at 8 a.m. I actually get a notification every 8 a.m. And I look at it, and it's very quick. I don't spend a lot of time on it, but it's just a really quick, subtle check-in. It says, hey, these are things that you might want to think about. And I put some other stuff on there, too, right? Another thing that I do is it sounds really silly, but I keep a very detailed birthday calendar. <laughs> I keep one, and I save it on Google Calendar. I even keep some notes in there and it takes a few seconds and it's there and it's reminded every year. And at the very least, once a year, you're going to think about this person. You may see it. You may go, you know what? I, I don't want to message that person. Or you may <laughs> go, oh yeah, I haven't checked in with them in a while. I should see how they're doing, you know? And that is one benefit of today's society, obviously, is that there's so many tools available to even just check on somebody indirectly or directly, right? Just see, hey, what, what, what are they up to in their life? And then if there's something there, maybe you could Extend that for what, what would you say to somebody that might feel like that's insane to like have a spreadsheet of your friends and like dates and, and all of that stuff? What would you say to, to somebody that that just sounds like wild to, I mean, or like narcissistic or I, I don't know. There's, there's <laughs> like the most I mean, negative I, I viewpoint think... on that kind of thing is, oh, I'm yeah. aligned in a spreadsheet to you or something. And it's <laughs> overly calculated. I think to think that, while while humorous, is uh, unrealistic in today's world. I just think we are, we have too much going on to not be just, it's almost, that's almost the equivalent of being thoughtful. Like maybe yeah. back in the day, you would have penned a letter and like <laughs> and sent it to them. And maybe you had like people to tell you things like, I don't know, they kept calendars for you. I don't know, depending on how rich you were or something. It's the modern equivalent of being thoughtful and that you are thinking of them enough and you're putting some energy into trying to organize your thoughts about them or like what they mean to you. I guess. So, so I don't know. I mean, I, I view it as just a, the modern equivalent of all those previous things that probably already existed for people. Of course, you couldn't communicate like we could back in the day either, right? Like a hundred years ago, things would have blown their minds to be able yeah. to send a message to somebody in Toledo or wherever. I don't actually have a friend in Toledo. I don't know why I keep saying Toledo, but that's uh, Toledo's a, it's a place. Yeah. It's a, it's a place. It's a place I don't think of often. So <laughs> no, and, and I bring that up because I have a list just like that, just like the one that you described. I'm not as good with the birthdays. Like I remember yours because we have the same one, but same birthday. the, the, um, <laughs> but like I have a list and, and yeah, generally I don't keep it to the day, but it's generally like when was the last time I talked to that person. And funny enough, the person that I heard that from first was Wayne Sim. You know, the old CEO of 3SI and then Osterna and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because, yeah. and I was, and he was a mentor of mine for a little while. And I, and I asked him, I was like, because he had this vision of combining all of those companies to turn it into Osterna. And I was like, how did you make that happen? And what do you, how do you run your life? How do you do this stuff? Basically, he has a spreadsheet, long term goals, short term stuff, and a big list of people and wakes up every morning and reaches out to 10 people. Just keeps relationships going, keeps them alive. And, 
love it. That guy yeah. is worth a kajillion dollars. So, <laughs> and and he really credited that habit for a lot of his success. Yeah, and I think huh. you could apply it indiscriminately to personal or business. I, I mean, obviously, the personal one is probably more. There's different emotions attached to that, which is totally normal, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But the business concept is the same. I mean, it's I tried to keep in touch with my business. I have a separate list of the same nature for mm -hmm. friends that I would consider colleagues or work friends. And, you know, they're scattered across industry now. And it's the same thing that like, hey, I haven't talked to so-and-so at Murphy or so-and-so at Oxy. I need to reach out to them. And they do the same actually sometimes, which is nice. But that's the key, right? I've started that. Maybe I was the instigator because maybe yeah. I was the senior person at the time because it was like a younger engineer that I mentored. Or maybe I would just happen to be a little more organized and I started it, but sometimes they'll start, they'll come back to me too. And that's, yeah. that's a good feeling too, right? That's a win-win because they, they obviously think, oh, that's nice. I should check in with Russell and call him or send him a message or something. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really cool. The panting thing, I, I hear you, that one's harder. And I think that's where just being organized because you have to recognize that time is so finite. Uh, and you have it worse than I do because I'm, I've only got one and one on the way. I know you're way past that point. So I've got it better I'm, than you do. Not worse. Yeah. You're right. You got it better than me. That's exactly right. No, yeah. And whenever, you know, we had our first daughter, that's what sent me into, you know, the search for productivity and effectiveness and efficiency and like all of that stuff and led yeah. to a whole bunch of stuff. Half of the business that we run now is predicated on those things. The other part of that for me is that I just have kind of a, a bad memory. Like I, I don't keep track of data in my head very well. Facts and figures. Like I was always bad at history in school. And so if a person tells me the ages of their kids and what they're up to and major life events, like I, I do care deeply and I'm there with them, but I will not remember you know, a lot of yeah. that stuff, right? And it's just hard to keep track of all that, all that data. So like I'll keep notes and, and stuff like that too. Do you, do you do anything like that? I do. I do. I think I probably have it a little better on the memory side. I don't know why. I just like, yeah, for some reason, been able to like submit certain things. But I completely um, am on board with you on, I don't like to memorize useless things. I don't like to just keep some things in my head. Like I like to keep a note and I like to be able to reference it. That even applies to more, well, it doesn't matter whether it's the household or, or work. It's the same thing, really. It's one of those things where I think I have a limited capacity and I'm prioritizing. Yeah, That's more conscious, but it's whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, I'm prioritizing what information should be stored in my brain, knowing yeah. that there's only... It may be expanding, but it's expanding much slower than probably all the information I'm getting on a daily basis, right? I mean, yeah. That's like everybody's problem probably these days. So. One of the things you said at the beginning of this conversation about like other people is trying to be approachable. Yeah. And I haven't thought about like intentionally attempting to be approachable. The way that I've always like, kind of thought about maybe something similar is being a human a little bit, <laughs> because especially sure. when we go in and work with companies and especially bigger corporations and stuff, people start putting these masks on and start putting a facade up and protecting themselves. And there's just layers of corporateness on top of like so many people that has its yeah. reasons and functions and all that stuff. Do you find that at, at work also? I do often. Yeah. And I'm sure like you said, it probably depends on the size of the organization or maybe just the culture, right? I mean, that's not, mm -hmm. that's an underlying thing. And all of this is company culture. I think that it's very easy to detach from a lot of emotional or like you said, just, you know, be human, right? Like, I, I think a lot of people pushing corporate America, we'll call it that generically. I think it's very easy for people to detach and just say, I'm just doing a job. I don't necessarily care about these people or I care about them, but only on a very basic level. I've just never been one to do that. I, mm. I don't know if it's again, my upbringing. I mean, my father was a firefighter. And my uncles were too. They were all paramedics and firefighters. So to them, I think a coworker was a brother mm. or sister in a way, because not just were you working alongside them to get a job done, but you could at any moment have to trust your life to them. You know, obviously corporate planning is not quite as staunch as that, but I do think that that mentality was kind of pushed to me. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I want my peers to be successful, mm. both personally and professionally. I want my coworkers to be successful. You know, it's, I don't do it as a zero sum game. And so a part of that to me is trying to push a culture of approachability, feedback, 
being kind. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to be nice all the time. Like I get it. There are times when you have to be tough and you have to argue and you have to be ideally constructive always. Right. But like, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to have tough conversations. That's always a part of anything, whether it's again, family or, or business, but no, I mean, I, I really strongly for cultures like that. And I try to contribute to cultures like that. One thing yeah. to just buy into the culture. I try to like push. Yeah. And influence argue. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because like you can just ride the wave or you can try to like steer it, you know, or something. And that's where I've always been big on. Maybe that's why I tend to work at slightly smaller companies. El Paso was a pretty large company and I enjoyed El Paso's culture. So I, I would say it was a great place to start and learn, but mm -hmm. I maybe have steered myself maybe to slightly smaller organizations. Not that I wouldn't work at a bigger one one day, but yeah, I mean, I think that's an important distinction and like being thoughtful with all of your actions of how you, whether it's benefits or conversations or planning or the public side of like, how do you present yourself to others or like happy hours or whatever it is, right? I think yeah. those are all go hand in hand. You kind of have to live by the whole creed the whole time. I think it's really fake. It's kind of like you said, a mask almost. If you present this, oh, I'm really nice. And then the moment you get out of a meeting or you leave, it's screw those guys. You know, like I'm not gonna, yeah. I just, I don't really like that personally. I found it interesting that like in my experience, the higher up in an organization you go, the more kind of transparent and honest people are. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's been odd because I think especially middle managers and kind of lower level, middle level managers, they're probably the most scared of, cause yeah. they have the least power and the most responsibility and like all kinds yep. of stuff. And so a lot of times they're the most guarded, but the people of kind of that are you know upper level, they're a lot more open and honest and they, they don't have time to beat around and sure, he's sure. good. The exception is, you know, when you get to an executive team and if that relationship is very guarded and secretive, then the company is fucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause I've seen, I've seen both. I've seen the ones where they're brutally honest. And then I've seen the ones where they are not, they won't talk to each other without a PowerPoint that a whole team worked on. Those companies are unwell, um, from the core. Yeah. I would agree with that observation. I've seen both sides of that and it is almost like a, like a bell curve. Cause yeah, I'd like to think that the people that are probably successful or in the upper echelon, but maybe not quite at the top, they probably are probably some of the most transparent. That's maybe why they got there, frankly, you mm -hmm. know, self completely self-fulfilling, but it could be because they can balance that after that, it's kind of a tricky, like if you get to that upper, upper tier, you're hopefully you're really good at what you do. And maybe you're, you're the full package or you are part of the package. And that's a bit tenuous. I feel like, like you yeah. said, I mean, I can see, you know, an organization, an organization could probably succeed in a short term thing, but a long term sustainable company. I don't know about that. I agree with you. I, I have doubts. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I've seen a lot of fractures and then you just have to hope that those leaders, those top, top leaders can quickly identify the people that can help patch those cracks or, or their weaknesses, right? You know, fill their weaknesses in. Yeah. Cause I agree with you. That's a major issue. So like we've talked about general, like optimism and having kind of a mindset toward progress in kind of even not awesome situations. Talked about the approach to people. Like, how do you think about striving for whatever you define as success and contentment? Cause I find that that's a, that's a tough balance for a lot of people to find in, you know, I want to do, have more impact, make more money, get promoted or be happier, like whatever your goal is while also being happy, like along the way, how do you, how do you think about that in terms of your, I guess we can start with work on the work front, like in your, in your career, how do you think about, you know, success versus contentment and happiness? Yeah, that's an interesting one because it probably has evolved as I've aged and maybe that's organic because I've progressed through my career, or maybe it's because there's priorities, you know, shift around, right? When you're in your twenties, you don't have kids, maybe you're not even married, right? Like you have a very different outlook of the world. I guess my point there would be, I think it moves around as you age. And I think it's probably a combination of things. It, and so, it being your definition of success or yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Because when I first started my career. I was excited to 
just contribute at all, right? Like, because you just feel like you know nothing and you're standing in the shadows of all these amazing people that are doing something in an organization, right? And as you get a little further along, you may figure out, oh, I actually know more than I realized or, oh, or I've just learned a lot and you're, and some of these people haven't <laughs> or, yeah. or some have, right? And then you start to ask yourself, okay, well, what, what do I need to do to, to get to so-and-so's level, right? And so some of that, I think actually some of it also probably depends on your, how you view mentorship mm -hmm. because, you know, and I think you mentioned it too with Wang, but like, I was always trying to engage executives and even upper level, right? Not, they don't have to be a CEO, like even if it's a vice president or something or whatever, right? Whatever your hierarchy is to sort of try to understand, like, how are you successful at what you do? And can I learn from that? Can you help me with my path? And then sometimes I also came away with it going, yeah, you know what? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be in his role or I don't like the way he conducts business or all of the above. And yeah. to me, that's just as important because knowing what success looks like is, is complicated, but also knowing what the opposite looks like is probably also important. I think I, I learned more from my, what I would call my anti-mentors <laughs> than, than my actual ones. Like the people yes. that I met and worked with and was it was crystal clear that I did not want to be like them. A hundred percent. I mean, you could argue maybe you learn more from that than the other way around. Cause like, yeah. man, I don't know what right is, but that is. The <laughs> yeah. I think there's a principle of as you're finding your way, a lot of times it's easier to find the thing that you don't want. And so you run away from that, but for you to really sort things out, you got to figure out what you're running toward. I don't yeah. know felt that with the business and with all kinds of other stuff. Like I said, I think that's a bold even because like even the pandemic probably sounds kind of cliche, but like that changed the lens of a lot of people, including myself to say, well, I think, cause I, and I know me and you both talk a lot about efficiency and, and that's just kind of woven into who we are. Cause like for me, I want to do the best job I can, but I also want to do it the most efficient way possible. You know, the people out there that say, I'm going to work harder than anybody else. I think that's a great mentality. There's nothing wrong with that mentality. But my agenda to that has always been, I'm going to work smarter than everybody else. Because like, that's the thing for me is, and I learned this back, like way back in the day, I worked construction, like when I was in high school, right? And it was a bunch of 18 year old kids, including myself, working with all these old dudes that had done construction for 20, 30 years. And... I tried to always be really tactical with how I did the job, whatever they asked me to do. And at the end of the summer, they asked me, and like there was like 10 guys, they asked me and like one other guy to come on and work extra stuff. And they were like, yeah, because you're not lazy, so good, you, you work hard, but then you also work smart. Like, you know, we give you a task, you don't just do it in the dumbest way possible. You need to think about <laughs> it for a minute and then act, right? He would just start slinging hammers without thinking, yeah. how would this be better if I did so I, I always think of that, that story because I think that's like a key thing for me about what success is, because I want to work really well to achieve whatever goals we're trying to achieve, which is going to probably include some amount of monetary happiness. Title doesn't matter as much to me, but like on some level, title is how the world views you externally. Mm -hmm. And so there's probably some amount of success that might be at least wrapped up in that. But at the end of the day, it's like, do you have enough time to actually take a breath and like spend time with your children? and Maybe your wife, but like travel or whatever gives you, whatever makes you happy, right? Whether it's going to a cabin in the middle of the woods or going golfing or traveling to France. I mean, whatever it is, can you achieve those objectives? But then are you getting to your, your work goal, like your work mission, right? Ideally, that's where like you should intersect all those things with, okay, I need to put not the least amount of work in, but the right amount of work considering the efficiencies of the things that I have access to. So I guess... Like that's my almost view of success now is how can I achieve that while doing not maybe the least amount of work, but the optimal amount of work. Sounds like an attempt at balance, right? Yeah. And, and not, I hate the term work-life balance for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of baggage around <laughs> it, but what I'm hearing a little bit is like, there's a definition of good enough at work and you want to get to that hurdle as efficiently, effectively as possible so that you can spend time and energy on the things, you know, the rest of your life. Exactly. In order to achieve that, you're going to have to probably do a bunch of really good things, meaning you're mm -hmm. going to have to be current with your knowledge. You're going to have to understand how to use the tools around you the best way possible. Like those are 
those are not mutually exclusive. It's, it's totally the opposite, right? Like if I'm, if I'm sucking wind at work and barely getting to my goal, then either something's wrong with my structure or situation, or I'm not using the tools either that I have or that I don't have very well, yeah. because I really should be able to do that. And I think that's where the pandemic for a lot of people, including myself, made it even more apparent because it's like, man, I can be a lot of places and get a lot of work done. And some of these other people can't, they're not yeah. very good at it. And they either need to adapt <laughs> and get better at it, or yeah. we have a problem. There's a mismatch here. Yeah. This is related. It might sound not, but at the end of the day, what needs to happen during a day for you to look up at the end and say, like, you know, that was a good day. I actually had one of those days this week, actually. So I was happy. I think it can come in a couple of different ways for me personally. It can often be learning something new or applying something new to not even complete success, but to some level of success, because I think that means that I've probably grown both personally, professionally, and I've furthered the business in some direction. The same could be said if I teach something or pass something on to a younger person or even an older person, if I taught them something, even if it's like my CEO, like if I, if I showed him how to do something where he doesn't have to ask 10 people to do it. He can do it in yeah. like five clicks. Good. I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't have a problem with teaching a man to fish, right? Like, I think that's a great, yeah. some people are scared of that. Maybe they think it's a job security issue. I'm not, I'm not scared yeah. of that. Like people could help themselves. Great. I also think that just trying to create a vision of what, and it doesn't have to be just a day, but like, even if you have a vision you've created. And you're, you're casting that off and going in that direction. That's a fulfilling thing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the opposite would be coming to the conclusion where you've, you've fulfilled that vision, hopefully, or at least you've fulfilled some version of it. And you can look back and say, why didn't it work completely? Or, or here, this worked, but this didn't. So, yeah. I mean, if I can do all that or any of those things, that's a pretty, pretty darn successful day in, in my. Yeah. Opinion. Sounds like progress and not just taking another step forward, but also becoming or becoming more capable by learning or enabling somebody else to be more capable by teaching. Oh yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, what are, what are we doing? Like, I mean, send me home. I can do a lot of stuff at home, my family, or I can go play golf or something. You know what I mean? Like if we're not going to do that, then like, what are we doing? It's not a very effective day or, or organization or situation or whatever. Yeah. And what if, what if we expand that question to not, not just work? So let's say you're perfect, say Friday. Like tonight, like what would have to happen today for you to lay in bed and be like, eh, pretty good day. For me, I'm not the veggie kind of person. I'm not going to sit on the couch and just like do nothing. That's probably shocking to you. I know, but I'm a big advocate of, of like YouTube. Like I'm really big on like, I'm going to sit here like a Friday, a perfect Friday evening for me is, and if this is assuming I'm in good shape, I'm happy. I might, you know, I might have a drink. I love to cook, so I may cook something new or fun, or even just, even if it's the same old recipe, it may be a good dish, right? I'm going to probably want to watch something that is brain fuel. Like I want to like either, whether I'm going to read or whether I'm going to watch something, I want to do something that is interesting. I, you know, mm. it could be reading about the banking crisis, or it could be watching a YouTube video about music or something, right? I mean, I, I have a lot of passion. So, and then part and hand in hand with that would be obviously spending time with your family, right? And you know, me, even just doing a puzzle with my daughter, even though it's simple, is very fulfilling because I'm helping her learn a skill and she's enjoying it. And that's worth a lot too, right? That's, that's still super fulfilling. So it could go a couple different directions. In yeah. general, I think it's some, some level of activity of like brain activity or physical activity or all of the above, right? Yeah. If I were to really boil it down like that, I guess that's how I kind of yeah. think. No, that makes sense. So I want to go back to something you said earlier about being effective and, you know, working smarter. When I've had my first, you know, real job, something I was asked to do, I had a boss bring me into to his office and hand me a map. It was a map of the, the business unit that we were working. And he said, I want to know how many PDPs and how many PUDs are on this map. So for people that aren't oily, you know, PDPs and PUDs are two different categories of oil well. And looking at the map, there had to be you know, close to like a thousand wells total. And he told me, take this back to your office and count how many wells PDPs were red or whatever. And the, and the puds were black. He said, go back to your office and count these. And I took the map and I went back to my office and I was like, 
somebody in this company made this map with a <laughs> yeah. computer that probably has these numbers. I called the person and they told me and it was done. <laughs> Obviously that's, that's an extreme example, but I think it ties back to technology and data use, especially in oil and gas, because especially in the back office down hole, we can drill three mile wells, two miles down within like a 10 foot landing zone and like insane technological stuff in the real world, but we're still using paper folders for AFE approvals and like Excel sheets and all this stuff. Like I talked to my friends and, you know, I work with a lot of people in proper like tech companies and stuff. And I, I told somebody yesterday, I'm like, yeah, everybody in the industry uses Outlook and they like laugh at that. Right. <laughs> and micro and all this stuff. So I don't know, what do you, what have you seen change, if anything, from a technology perspective and that maturity in the industry over your career? And then what do you want to see change? Oh man, yeah. This has always been one of my biggest marches, man. So in the last 10 years, I've certainly seen a lot of things change, which is good. I would argue that it probably has been a lot slower than I would have liked to have seen. I've always been an early adopter and a pusher. I mean, you and I met even back in the day where we were implementing Intersight, which is like, at the time, it blew my mind that that didn't already exist in a way, because it's like, guys, I mean, yeah, you can make a really big, complicated Excel model, but like, why? Like yeah. there's software engines that can create, this is not anything new, but anyways, besides the point. Yeah. I mean, like I've seen, honestly, slow adoption of instant messenger, like your Slacks, your teams. I've seen also slow adoptions of communication. I still have a Cisco phone in my office, which is probably 15 years old. It drives me crazy. I don't know why we have it sometimes. I've argued with my executives about why does anybody need this anymore? We have digital switchboards and everybody carries a cell phone. You could save a bunch of money. Well, I like having my phone. Like, okay, whatever. That's fine. That's one day when it's my decision, there will be a different path. We'll go, but it's not my decision yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen obviously planning software's come a long way. I actually think it's funny. I got to be careful. I'm trying to do the, what I've seen change versus what I'd like to see change. You know, obviously there's been a lot more entrance into the space to try to digitize the oil field, which is a little bit of a scary phrase because I think that gets almost not a buzzword, but almost a buzzword. Like it gets caught up in a lot of things, but it, it seems like everybody genuinely is trying to, to do what you're talking about, which is stop using paper for things, bring stuff into structured data formats, data warehouses, mm -hmm. ton of progress over the last 10 plus years to see that come of age, maybe a little bit overkill in some instances, especially with some of the bigger operators out there like an Exxon or something that have these huge data repositories that are probably silly, honestly, but yeah. like they got it and they got lots of data. So they're going to, they're going to try to pull together and then being able to use that structured data. I've seen some, some cloud adoption, which has been nice. I think that's another thing that like seems obvious to me. Mm. People have been kind of slow and some applications have really embraced it. Others have it, but most of the younger engineers get it. I mean, they're not scared about that. I don't know if you remember. I can't remember what year it was. It wasn't that long ago, but it was surprising to a lot of people that Conoco was one of the first big companies to move to Office 365. <laughs> Microsoft in the cloud was mm -hmm. very controversial and not even like seven or eight years ago. Probably. Oh, I, I can even, now we're swapping war stories, but I mean, Alcon had traditional office and it was very expensive. Very yeah. expensive. Yeah. Uh, talk about a big bill from uh, Microsoft account manager and that was one of the first things where I was like, just cut it out, man. Just, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I, I still struggle. I still struggle with getting people to understand the concept of the cloud, which is not that hard. It sounds so abstract. It's really not. So like, yeah, like I'm going to share this file with you and it's going to be multiple users can get into it and edit it. Oh my God, that sounds so scary. They're so scared by that. It's like, man, it's really not that scary. Like we can control a lot of things and access. And so I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, that's even small stuff like that is still, it's happening. You know, Outlook just rolled a feature out where you can do basically a live, call it like a live graphic or like mm -hmm. data set. And so you could send an email and you could still have normal email traffic, but there will be this perpetual object that will update live. And therefore like, doesn't matter what email you're looking at. You will always be able to reference that object. Mm. So it's effectively like a cloud a live thing. attachment almost. A live attachment. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. 
that's a much more eloquent way to put it. And I told people about that. I was like, this is exciting. We could try this. And immediately I got a lot of like skepticism, scared. It so this I, reminds me of that, whatever Senator yesterday that asked the TikTok CEO if TikTok accesses the Wi-Fi. <laughs> and the guy was like, surely I'm not understanding the question. Please let me not be understanding the question right. Yeah, no, so but I, I don't want to over harp on like. That well, is a real thing though. It's like the education about like how oh, these yeah. things can work. And I don't claim to know how the internet works beyond it's just a set of tubes, but like. Waiting for that to come up. I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. And even for people that are our age, there's a lot of people that really don't understand how computers yeah. work and how some of these yeah. things can, can operate. That's actually what I was about to say is I don't want to sound ageist because I do know some younger people younger than me that don't understand a lot of things and don't seem that interested or maybe they're just say scared, but they're like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not really sure what to do with that, you know, and they're not comfortable with it. So, I mean, it's regardless of your age, I think that's just the thing. But I mean, no, I mean, there's, and I'm trying, let me just try to think of it. I probably have a hit list here. We've covered a lot of them, but like I've watched our capacity grow a lot with tools, but the problem is, is that a lot of management comes from an old school background. So they think, oh, I can run a thousand scenarios now. I should run a thousand scenarios. And yeah. it's like, be thoughtful. You need to be thoughtful with the power that you wield. I think your comment about risk earlier is another one that I see a lot. Like the term risk is almost meaningless to me now. It used to mean something more when we had the at risk and like those schools of thought and they still a hundred percent exist. There are certain organizations that follow them, but there's a lot of organizations that don't. Yeah, just left it behind. And they claim that it's maybe it's because they're a manufacturing process. Maybe it's because they think it's the shell. The unconventionals as a space don't work well with it. I disagree with that, but like, you know, that's another thing. And then like training has training and young talent is another thing that unfortunately I've seen go the wrong way in the last team. I think that training has been cut and just suffocated for most yeah. organizations. And I'm sure like an oxy still has a very healthy training budget. But if you work in any kind of smaller-ish company, everything has been so crimped from like liquidity and access to capital markets that the first budget that gets cut is hiring new people, interns, and training. And so I haven't seen, we don't even talk about going to campus anymore and trying to do, I mean, that was a big part of my career for the first 10 years. I was on campus constantly at, you know, supporting programs and trying to meet young engineers and influence them or give them guidance on how to join industry interviews. We would have interns all the time to try to, even if we didn't hire them, we wanted to give them opportunity to get that experience. Right. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that in my opinion has gone by the wayside, not just training of young people, but just training. Like yeah. if you don't understand what chat GPT is. Go LARP. Yeah. I don't know if we have to make it more structured, but it's a real thing. Maybe that's where people need to take that charge. They're, like maybe there's a thought leader in every organization and they need to take the time to like have a town hall or a fireside chat or whatever term you want to use to like talk through stuff. But I do think there's a real lack of that. A lot of people I talk to seem to think, man, I don't have any training budget anymore or it's been just cut so much. And the training side of thing, I think there's a couple of facets to that. One is, I think... I agree. It's a nice to have for a lot of people. And so it definitely gets cut. The flip side of that, I would argue that a lot of the training that is offered is bad and ineffective, like especially leadership training, but even a lot of the other stuff, if you were to design a training program that would not change behavior, I would design exactly what most companies do, which take people out of their day job for three straight days, dump information at them, and then don't follow up at all. And that's the default model for a lot of this training stuff. But I yeah. agree, like that doesn't even matter if leaders, people don't prioritize developing people. It's interesting. I've had some conversations about this exactly because it's part of what we do. Right now, a lot of people are scared of hiring because they're afraid of a recession, right? They don't want to grow headcount because they're afraid that they'll have to lay off and all of that kind of stuff. Well, training is exactly the way to get more out of your people. Like process improvements, of course, but then if you can make a person five or 8% more effective or more capable, that's how you get more out of the same number of people. When it's phrased that way, they realize they're like, oh yeah, instead of hiring 10% more people, I can just do a good job of training the ones I have and all the other stuff too. But yeah, no, I, I completely yeah. agree with that. I think that's shifting into the latter part of that question because I've seen that I've seen the down slope of it, right? I mean, I. I follow the petroleum engineering graduates in the nation. It's 
dropped significantly in the last five years. Not shockingly in some ways, but like it's a testament to just our commitment to hiring people and try to keep young talent in. I've just seen less young talent in general on all fronts, whether it's GIS or whether it's land or whatever. Again, that's maybe a testament to our lack of engagement or how we're viewed in the world. But then, yeah, just training in general. And so what I, what I want to see change in the next 10 years would be we either need to figure out how to get young people engaged in oil and gas related spaces, or we got to figure out how to train people and get more out of people. And to me, the, the lowest hanging fruit of that is to utilize, I mean, there's some, whether it's software, whether it's AI, whether it's just better use of the current data and the analytics tools that are out there. Like I, I can't, the number of times I see people use Spotfire generically, right? That's really good. That's good. But you could do so much more with it if you yeah. were just a little more dedicated to it. Or maybe you, maybe you've got some consultant or some people to help you with that. Same for your yeah. planning process. Same thing. I mean, your, your process works, but you could get more out of it. You could be a lot more effective if you put a little bit of, like it, it's a ledge of like, if you're not going to buy a new car, I mean, at least you've got to service your car. You got to make sure yeah. it's running well. Like you <laughs> yeah. got to make a choice, right? You, you can take it to 250,000 miles, but like you're going to have to take care of it. It's been really cool to see some of the, the smaller shops be able to do a lot more than they used to be able to. So now yeah. with a team of 10 people, you can run a couple of rigs and it's pretty impressive how some of the smaller ones have, have set up and that kind of thing would have taken five times as many people to do. Oh yeah. With the old ways of doing things. And it'll be interesting to see if and when bigger companies get closer to that kind of model and really embrace it. Cause I think everybody chips away and tries to improve things, but the force of the status quo and protecting what's already happening and all of that is very, very strong. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've witnessed that firsthand, both in terms of organizational change, like meaning I've worked in small organizations where we were capable of a lot to just, you know, again, going into a bankrupt organization and having to like clean up stuff and figuring out what skeletons they have in the closet. Okay. How do we, what do we do about this? I will also throw out, and it sounds a little bit, maybe I don't think it's a hot topic, but like, I would say I'm very impressed with the latest AI tools that are out there. I mean, they're incredibly impressive and I have personally been using them in my day job Yep, and there's a lot to be desired. They're going to still get way better. There's a lot of issues still, but you talk about a tool that if you could marriage that with upstream planning or just general processes, mm -hmm. I think it's going to make someone very effective. And so I've already encountered, I hate to say prejudice, but I've already encountered people that are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to look at that. That scares me. Or like, yeah, that's, I've heard about that. That's weird. Right. I don't even, and I'm telling you now, like that's, we got to change that kind of mentality. Cause we're not going to probably get any more young people. Or maybe it's going to be a limited number of young people. So we've got to figure out how to do more with what we got. And yeah. that's a great example of one of many tools and processes that could be, you know, used to yeah. uh, improve efficiency. The whole AI and ML usage as buzzwords has made me want to puke for the last five to eight years, especially in oil and gas. Anybody that had a scheduling algorithm said that they had AI. And I don't know, it's just brutal, but the stuff that's coming out now, and I think, you know, I'm not one to hop on trends and get overly excited about like new things, the stuff that's coming out now, we're on the cusp of something very interesting. Like, Agreed. the stuff that I'm able to do already, even little stuff like AI generated headshots instead of hiring a photographer and going through all of that stuff. I'm not sold on the chat GPT stuff yet because I've, I've seen the founders and the people that are creating content using it. And it's very obvious, but like some of the images and image generation the stuff is crazy and it's getting much better really fast, which is yes. cool. Yes. Cause we'd kind of reached a slowdown in the, in the improvements of more traditional tech, like storage and compute speed and like that stuff, whatever it is, it's not Murphy's law, whatever the one, the opposite of that where yeah. tech grows it. Moore's law. Moore's law. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Murphy's a bad one. Like that Murphy's stuff, people one. were starting to question that, but then with the advancements here, people are like, okay, yep. Still holds pretty cool. What else? Anything else on your mind on that topic and oil and gas and upstream and data tech, all that stuff. Anything else you want to make sure we get in here? 
Man, I think that in general, upstream, well, and, and and again, maybe even more than upstream, maybe just oil and gas in general. I think there's a lot of bad practices. I feel like that's been weeded out significantly in the last 10 years, but I still think it's present. So that's another thing that I would say, hopefully we'll continue to break down. When I say that, I mean, like there's a lot of egos. I think people still make some decisions off of some questionable data or gut feelings or whatever. You can't, it's not to say you can make a decision totally off data. I think the whole analysis paralysis thing is very real still. I've seen that firsthand too, where people can chart through as many scenarios as they want and they can't make a decision because they don't know what to believe, you know? So yeah. you gotta be, a, you gotta check it a little bit. That's another thing I think that I've seen, but otherwise, no, I think that's right now. I mean, I'm encouraged by some of the recent tools I've seen. I've been using them personally to great effect. And uh, I agree with you. I think that could really revolutionize some stuff, especially because there's some really smart entrepreneurial people out there that are going to harness it and continue to harness it. So yeah, I'm encouraged by that. And that's my optimism again, my general optimism. I think it comes back to like a mindset shift where I think a lot of people do feel threatened and it is scary and it's new, but I do think that the answer is going to be, it's another and, right? So it's this new technology and the human component. And how do we get those to work together well, you know, the same way that, People thought that books were destroying people's minds because they couldn't just like do stuff back and like right. hundred years ago or two, whenever it was. What I would like to see happen is technology be used appropriately in a way that enables humans to do the stuff that they're really good at, like the creativity and the problem solving and the ideas and the designs and things like that, and not the soul sucking data entry, blah, blah, blah. That was the idea a long, long time ago was advances in technology will allow us to work less and on stuff that we actually want to do, but we haven't let them do that, right? We filled up that time with stuff. Yeah. And, and I'll even give you just really quick, a fun little tangible example that probably would be near and dear to most engineers' hearts is chat GPT. Really interesting tool, obviously, but like one of the things that as a classic engineer, you're intimately familiar with Microsoft Excel mm -hmm. and you love to make spreadsheets. Just being able to, you know, let's say you encounter an issue where you need to build a spreadsheet to do some financial modeling. Traditionally, you'd have to Google something and you'd spend 30 minutes, an hour digging through forums, maybe looking for similar problems, maybe looking for language and examples. You can ask a lot of these language models, hey, I have this problem. Could you recommend a solution? And it will generate a code snippet effectively. Yeah. And, and this applies to programming too, but I'm just using an oil and gas specific example that people love to use itself. So it will generate a code snippet and then you can even provide it with the spreadsheets and it will do things for it. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So I just tell that to, to get people excited, hopefully, right? Cause like they may be afraid of it, but like, that's the kind of thing where you could take a four hour problem or a three hour problem and turn it into an hour long problem. And that's real gains. That's tangible. Now, of course you could probably do 10,000 other things that are going to be more productive, but like People need to realize you can harness some of this stuff really easily and it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome, man. This has been really good. A couple of things to close out. One last question for you is for anybody that's listening that wants to both achieve whatever their definition of success is, whether it's at work or elsewhere, but also be happy and content and enjoy that ride. What advice would you give? It sounds a little cliche, but I mean. I think that you, you have to keep learning. Ideally you're learning about your, your industry or your area of expertise, but I wouldn't restrict it to that even. I mean, just keep learning and doing stuff. It's so easy to just get to a point in your career where you just feel like, okay, I'm coasting or even if you're working hard still, you're not really stepping out and growing and like trying new things and trying to insert yourself into new situations. And I just think if you keep doing that, that's going to make you as a person more successful and more complete, both mm -hmm. professionally and personally. I mean, even if you feel like you're trapped in a bad situation or in a bad organization or a bad time economically, I think if you push yourself to learn new skills, you push yourself to learn new things, meet new people. It's amazing how many people don't do that. They just stop doing yeah. that. They get real stale or real, uh, real stiff. And then I, I'm a big advocate of being a doer. I think you got to stay a doer. I think the old adage was, oh, I'm a doer until I'm a manager or I'm an executive. And then I'm not a doer anymore. I just tell people what to do. I don't think that that's the truth anymore. I think the yep. modern executive or modern manager, whatever you want to call them, is a doer and a thinker. 
And you got to do both those things. If you stop being a doer in this day and age, I think it's going to be real bad. I think you're going to have a bad time. You may be successful to some limited degree, but you may not. Or you may find that your lifespan gets cut short, frankly, because like I think you have to keep doing things as well as thinking about things. There's no doubt you gain wisdom as you get older. It just happens one way or another, right? You're getting dragged down the river that is life. But I think you just have to keep learning new concepts. You have to keep an open mind. I just think back to some of the uh, older engineers that I knew that became, in my opinion, very close-minded. And maybe they didn't realize they'd gotten there. Maybe they were always like that. I don't know. But it was very obvious that that rigidity wasn't doing them any favor. So I, I think those are really important things to be successful. Yeah. I think never stop adding wrinkles to your brain. And if you don't want to stop or if you don't want to do things, just become a venture capitalist, you know, and then you can just tell people what to do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think, law for some of them. I've heard the thing like you lock in your music tastes when you're like 16 and then dads especially lock in their fashion sense when they're like 35 and then it just like never changes from there. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think music and, and fashion may be okay, but like the rest of your thoughts on, on life, maybe not. Well, this has been awesome, man. Thanks for doing this. It's been good talking to you. It's been, I know we had lunch a little while ago, but before that, it was way too long. We need to do this more. If anybody wants to connect with you, reach out, what's the best way for them to do that? Or you can tell them they can't also. That's fine too. Uh, No, I'm on LinkedIn. (laughs) Uh, I actually use LinkedIn. I try to use it. I wouldn't say I post a lot, but it's not because I'm not interested or listening. I just don't often feel the need to currently broadcast my thoughts to people. Nothing wrong with that. Just not my thing. Maybe one yeah. day I will. But yeah, link, I think LinkedIn is, is as good as any. And there's, I think my email's on there in theory if people wanted to contact me directly through that too. So Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. This was fun.